Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 187 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday, February 2nd, 2020. We are celebrating both Groundhog Day and Super Bowl Sunday on this fine day. On this, if you write it with the zeros, the date today is a palindrome. So that's exciting, I think. It's a lot and, going on today. And most and most importantly... Wait, did you Fox just like know Bill, that? Did you, you didn't know that. You, you saw that, right? Someone told I you had that. already... I had already I had already like written out the date today once and I I mean it. if you know what a palindrome is you probably knew that today was a palindrome at some you point. You see them yeah and, and and also you just start seeing them everywhere you know it's yeah. like it's like the matrix you just see it. <laughs> anyway, all that all that to say uh winter winter is ending here fairly shortly because Punxsutawney Phil saw his shadow. I think that was Did the, not did not see his shadow. Not see his shadow from uh from this morning out in pennsylvania so with that let's get excited for spring i am your host of this episode sam klein i am coming to you from durham north carolina i am joined as always by my two partners in crime one in washington dc donald wine donald hello how are you hello i am actually not in uh my home in dc today i am in i'm in los angeles california sunny la uh, by the airport, I if I look out my window, I can see the new Ram Stadium, which looks like a big ass space station. Um, but uh, yeah, I am here for soccer. Uh, the men's soccer team played yesterday, and I stayed here because I didn't want to fly during the Super Bowl. So um, I'm just here looking at the stadium, and I'm pretty I'm pretty sure the Super Bowl will be there pretty soon. But it's going to be in my former hometown of Miami today. I'm out here just kind of hanging out. I'm rambling awesome. because it's it's early here. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. You're uh, you're a few hours behind us. A few hours Jason behind. Evans, Jason Evans is also with us. He, I believe, is at home in Atlanta. Jason, how are we doing? Uh, doing quite well. Doing quite well. Looking forward to the Super Bowl tonight. By the time you know, we talk about the Super Bowl here. By the time people listen to this podcast, it'll, they'll probably already know the results. So I'm so happy the Chiefs won. I'm so happy the 49ers won. And then I'll I'll edit whichever one of those is appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> that's cheating okay here's what i'm going to predict i'm predicting a great game and joe montana's team is going to win predicting the the kansas city chiefs win pat pat mahomes run, running around is too much but if san francisco has the lead and they blow it falcons fans will just be triggered because it's kyle shanahan blowing a super bowl all over again oh yeah you did have that didn't you Oh God! Did we ever? <laughs> Let's talk about no basketball. Further, I have no further commentary about the Super Bowl except that I hope all of the brands get all they want out of the commercials that they paid lots and lots of money for. So both teams play that's, hard. That's the that's the that's the business school student in me really wishing for the best outcome for America. Speaking of the best outcomes for America, let's talk about the Duke Blue Devils and winning a couple of basketball games this week. The first was a home game in Cameron Indoor Stadium against Pittsburgh on Tuesday night. Duke pulled out the victory 79-67. to It was a little bit of a weird night given that the Kobe Bryant news was still pretty fresh on the team's mind as well as all the fans in the stadium. Of course, it was the first opportunity for Duke to appear in front of its home crowd since the tragic news from Sunday. The other complicating factor is that uh, Jeff Capel was in the building for the first time since he left to become the head coach of the Pittsburgh Panthers. So he got a, a really nice reception, actually, from the Cameron Crazies at the beginning of the game. And we will talk 
sort of after our game analysis about the the sort of weirdness that went on between Capel and Coach K and the Cameron Crazies at halftime. But suffice it to say, the the Cameron Crazies were excited to see Jeff Capel again after his still somewhat recent departure. But Duke ended up pulling out the victory. They were ahead by a lot going into the second half. Pittsburgh managed to whittle the lead down to just three points late in the game, but ultimately Duke was able to prevail. I'll send it to you, Jason Evans, first. Give me your general impression from the pit game and, and kind of start wherever you think is most important. So the first thing I'll say is that Vernon Carey had 26 points and 13 rebounds, and it wasn't his best game of the week. That's crazy. <laughs> but in, in terms of the game itself, I don't want to get ahead to, to the Syracuse game. It, it was a, I agree, it was a very weird game because Duke got out to a, a really big lead. I mean, it almost, it felt almost insurmountable. And I feel like we kind of eased off the gas a little bit at that, at that point. I don't know if, you know, we didn't want to embarrass Coach Capel and Pittsburgh somewhat, or, you know, I'm not sure what happened, but there was this Duke team that played for a while and, and, and really poured it on. And, and, and we were able to get the ball inside. We, we mentioned that the Pittsburgh big men. In the preview, we talked about the fact that Pittsburgh didn't really have the bigs to stop Vernon. We thought he could have a big game. Boy, did he ever. And we mentioned that Duke would probably have a pretty good day on the offensive boards. And we got 43% of the available offensive rebounds. And and I love it when things that we expect to happen do happen because we usually expect Duke to win. So it's good when those kind of things happen. But then this weird thing happened like around the, I don't know, maybe the, the 10, 12 minute mark of the second half and Pitt sort of stormed back. And it was like Duke had a little bit of trouble figuring out how to turn it back on once we'd turned it off. Um, and, and so, I mean, that's a little bit troubling, but we ended up pulling it out fine down the stretch. Um, I, I think this was, this was one of those games where we missed Wendell Moore. Um, we didn't at the time know that he would come back in time for the Syracuse game. Um, I, I think he makes this team a lot better. Uh, Alex O'Connell through the Pittsburgh game was in an absolute shell. He only plays one minute, one minute against Pitt. Looks like his confidence is completely gone. Um, Joey Baker has noticeably cooled off since the ACC season began, and we really need another wing. And, and I thought that, um, you know, I, I, I thought that our, our wings struggled a bit to cover, to, to really deal with some of the, the Pitt wings. I mean, Audis Tony, this is a kid who's barely an eight-point-per-game scorer we didn't even mention him in the preview. We talked about several guys on Pitt who were worth talking about who, who could be trouble for Duke. We don't even mention Audis Tony. He absolutely goes off against Duke, hitting it from outside, hitting it from inside. He, he uh, you know, I, I thought he really, he dominated our guards. He gets 27 points, plays all 40 minutes. Um, and it was just this weird kind of game where even though a lot of things we thought would happen happened, a lot of things we didn't think would happen happened. And I, I think the Duke guys got a little bit tired. Um, uh, Jordan Goldwire plays 35 minutes. Trey Jones plays all 40. I, I think Duke is a better team when Jordan Goldwire is playing more like 20 minutes or so. But we didn't really have the per, the perimeter guys um, to to sub and 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 let him get get some of a get a rest. Um, and I keep on it's like everything I say about Pitt, I want to compare it to what happened against Syracuse. I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> Donald, let me go to you. What 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 did you see in this game? You know, it was a game that I I expected Pitt to come out and play with a little bit of passion, a little bit of fire. That's how Jeff Capel coaches. And 
I, I think when it comes to that, we are a much better basketball team, but I saw some of the reasons why Pitt is one of those teams that they just never gave up. That, Like you said, Aldis Tony just was hammering away at us. He, he could basically do everything he wanted on the court. And at the end of the day, it wasn't that they didn't have the juice or anything like that because they played really well, I thought. It was more about just us being a better basketball team, and it finally just kind of that that cream of the crop kind of rose to the top at a certain point. And I think that cream of the crop, as you mentioned, was Vernon Carey. The tank was unstoppable, it seemed. There was times – and I feel like the scary part of his game is that we haven't seen his full potential yet, but he's starting to learn that if he – wants to, he can take over any basketball game he chooses. And I think that is the confidence that I am looking for going forward from him. And really when it comes to it, you know, Jeff Capel's team, they didn't quit. I I see why they've been so close against some of these better teams in the ACC. It's because they don't have that quit. They have that fire and pretty soon they're going to, they're going to rattle off a couple of wins that are going to give notice that this team is going to be something down the line. It may not be this year, but it's going to be, they're a team that, I see a lot of potential in them, and with Capel at the helm, I see that they are going to improve. And I saw that improvement last night from them. So it hats off to them for what they did. Not last night, but uh, Tuesday night. Um, so hats off to them for the performance that they put in. It just wasn't enough against our Blue Devils. I'll come back to Vernon Carey, who I think was probably the star of this game. And note that Carey played 35 minutes against Pittsburgh. It's his highest minutes total of the season. and One of the things that has been interesting to us, I think a lot of other folks about Vernon Carey's development this year is that despite being so efficient on offense and despite, you know, having, having the plethora of offensive moves that he already has as a freshman, his stamina hasn't quite been there and that he's really been limited to 25 to sort of 30 minutes per game at the high end this season. And this game played 35 minutes was very effective. As Jason mentioned, a, a mismatch that Duke was able to exploit with Pittsburgh, but something that I was really excited to see. It comes back a little bit to reality against Syracuse for for Carey, even though he had a good game, not as many minutes, but uh, a huge night for him against Pittsburgh. And it sort of brings me to the part of this team that I think is most interesting and has been the most interesting all season, which is the rotation and how many minutes different guys are playing. We expect Trey Jones to talk to to play a lot, you know, basically every minute of every game that's that's even vaguely competitive. We expect Jordan Goldwire to play a lot, a lot, especially as long as Wendell Moore is out. We expect Vernon Carey to play a little less and to make time for other bigs, but that didn't really happen in this game. And Jason already teed it up for me, I think. What's really interesting is to see down Duke's bench, especially on the wing, who are the guys that are getting minutes between Joey Baker, Alex O'Connell, Wendell Moore, now that he's back. So Jason, I'm going to give it to you kind of, what do you see as the, as the current of the rotation given the pit game? And then maybe that'll help us uh, move over to the Syracuse game. Although we still have to also talk about, about this whole coach K and the crazies thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to pretend like we don't know what happened against Syracuse <laughs> Sure, because it's, it, to me, it's really interesting. I mean, the hallmark of this Duke team all year has been the depth and the fact that we have so many interchangeable parts that can go in and, uh, you know, and play different roles. And, Oh, if, you know, if Baker's not shooting well, O'Connell shoots well, if O'Connell's not shooting well, uh, you know, maybe you get it from Wendell Moore or Jordan Goldwire. Uh, so uh, it was really, this pit game was very strange to me 
to see. Look, we had you mentioned Kerry Goldwire and Jones all play more than 35 minutes. Um, Joey Baker plays nine minutes, one of six from the field. Um, you know, doesn't hit a single three pointer. Javin Delorier is basically rendered a, a complete non entity. Um, he he almost gets a four trillion. He plays four minutes. He he does pick up a foul, so he avoids avoids a four trillion. But Javin Delorier basically was a complete non-factor in this game. A lot of this because Vernon Carey plays so well. And Delorier, by the way, is the is you know is the one who loses out when Carey's the one that gets when Carey gets thirty-five minutes. It means that those are coming directly from Delorier. Absolutely. I mean, we we got we got good contributions from Jack White. We obviously Jack White is almost like a sixth starter to me um, in terms of yeah he's playing a role player kind of role, but he he's playing the kind of minutes that are, are close to starter minutes every game. Um, and then Alex O'Connell, like we mentioned, plays one minute in this game, basically came in and, and showed that he uh, that he was still in a shell that he's been in for a while. So it's a very strange game for Duke in that regard, in that the team that we have been all year was not the team that we were in this game. And to me, it would be really troubling if I didn't know what comes next. <laughs> uh, knowing what happens in that Syracuse game, Means that I'm I'm not going to dwell as much on this pit game, but the, this pit it it feels like it feels strange com- compared to what we've seen the rest of the year. It looks, I mean, if you take a look at the minutes from the Pittsburgh game, it looks more like what you think of as being Duke basketball. There are five starters; they're exactly, all going to play exactly twenty five yeah. plus minutes. One, maybe two guys on the bench are going to play are going to play double digit minutes, but everybody else is getting spot minutes, the kind that that. Baker on the high end and O'Connell on the low end got, you know, Javin Delorier barely plays. So Donald, anything else on the, on the minutes before we'll transition to the, the coach K thing. And then we will talk a little bit about the Syracuse game. Let's transfer to the uh, coach K thing. Cause as you guys know, I have some comments on that <laughs> on all, all right. Of it. So yeah, so, let's go ahead and do it. So, we all got something all right, to I'll, say. We all got I'll, something I'll to say. It, I'll, I'll remind everybody about what happened. Although I'm sure that <laughs> Duke fans probably don't need a reminder at the end of the first half. The Cameron Crazies were doing the uh, Jeff Cable sit with us cheer that is sort of similar to the one they do when big recruits are in Cameron or famous former players, that that kind of thing. They were doing it at Jeff Cable. Coach K got really hey, upset Sam, about Sam, it. Can, yeah. can I clarify? I, I've heard reports that they were talking to Cameron Cable, who is Jeff Cable's daughter, who was at the game. No, no, no. There, it was uh, no, it, it was, was Jeff. Jeff Cable. It was it was definitely Jeff Cable. Jeff Cable. Okay, <laughs> I just want to check. I'd heard it they might have been doing... Cameron Cable that they were talking. No, to, no, no, no. Which would have been um, very appropriate. They've had siblings come and sit with them before. That's the thing yeah, that sure. they've done. Mm-hmm. No, no. Anyway. They they were they were doing this at Jeff Cable. Coach K, it it seemed got really upset about it in the moment and told the crazies to stop. It and then, seemed, and then it, it seemed like he got really upset. Time, well, at first, at first he was yelling at them and then the half ended and then he, and then he walked over to the student section, which he does not ever do. And, and was really laying into them just in front of the entire crowd. After the game, he clarified and said that he wasn't exactly sure what they were saying, but that they were cheering at Jeff Cable and, and that he thought they were mocking him for some reason. And then, sort of issued a general apology has since I think done done some more things to reach out to the crazies to to apologize for his overreaction to the whole thing can, Donald can just, I'll give it can we re- wait, wait, yeah. can we really quickly coach K apologized yeah like which he never does what? <laughs> he never so, never does that I'll give some context to what happened and you know I had some people who were at the game that were we have some of the former uh former people from when I was around you know 
grad students, line monitors that have a chat going. And so some of them were actually at the game. And here's what they said happened. They said that at halftime, after the, you know, the beating of the chest, he's saying he's one of us. He goes in the locker room and Debbie uh, Savarino, his, his daughter, um, at the end of halftime, came up to him and said they weren't jeering him. They were they were doing this cheer. And so that's when he went over to, I mean, obviously it was in the, you know, right before the second half started. So he went over to the bench, to the pit bench and apologized to the assistant coaches. And then again to Jeff Capel. Um, I think you guys remember at the start of the second half, he kind of pulled him over and kind of beat him on his chest and said, yo, we're cool and walked back. So he didn't know until after halftime what was actually said. That's why the, the apology came during the press conference. And then again, he called in the current, headline monitors the next day and apologized to them directly, explain where he was coming from, and then called a meeting with all the people camping out for the UNC game and did the same thing. So this is something that in my mind has been has been blown up by people who don't know this. Because here's the thing. I, I think you know we all went to school at different times at Duke. We all have been yelled at by Coach K at some point. It's almost like a rite of passage. It, it's for things way worse Amen. than what was said yep. on Tuesday night. Oh, yeah. it, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> I mean, there, I, I always remember going to the game against St. John's when they started the fire. A couple of people started the fire. Mike Jarvis chant, and he got on the microphone and said, "Knock that ish off," and everyone went silent. Even Mike Jarvis was looking at him like, "Yo, coach, it's, it's fine. I'm I'm cool with it. Like, there, it's love. It's fine." And but it's stuff like that where the people who did not go to Duke think it's the most worst thing in the possible world because it's one thing they can add to the "I hate Duke." tree that they're growing in their backyard it wasn't a big deal he 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 overreacted that happens coaches do that a lot he apologized for it as soon as he could and people were like why didn't he apologize at halftime because he had a game to win that's why he was going to finish the game and honestly with 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 that with the kobe situation he, he talked at length about the relationship he had with kobe bryant the fact that jeff capel back in his senior year was being booed in cameron by people this is all whoa, why whoa, he whoa, overreacted. Whoa, 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 Time out. Go ahead. Hold on. Go ahead. Jeff Capel was not booed. Let's be very clear. I know a lot of people who were at that game. I do what too, and they all was, say he was booed. He was not booed. No, he was not booed. What happened What Duke fans would not boo a Duke player going in the game. He had had several bad games in a row. He was having an abysmally bad game mm-hmm. in that game. And when he got, when Coach K called on him, he got off, got up off the bench to go to the scorer's table, everyone in the stadium went, <gasps> like, Ugh. like, like there a was groan. a collective, like, groan. Yeah, like, oh, really? But that was that is a far cry from booing. And there's this urban myth out there among the Duke haters that Duke booed Coach Capel. The fans did not boo him. They groaned. They were, they were and there may have been, I mean, I don't know. I guess there Sounds might like have been a couple people. Jason, it does sound a little bit like you're splitting hairs here. They, the, the Duke Hold fans on, there's were... A, Audibly upset a, about. Wait, there's a big, there's a big difference between, ooh, uh oh, I'm, you know, I'm worried about this. I don't know about this move, and I am disapproving of you as a player. I, to boo someone is to actively take the role of saying, I don't like you, I don't want you. That is a very different thing to me than being like, ooh, really? I, I, mean, I will say, Jason, you, you could be right. But in the in the talk that he had with the tenters, Coach K described it as booing, and he mentioned that that he brought him back to that with the fact that the Kobe thing had just happened, his relationship there. He decided that it was his job and his duty to protect his guy. 
That's why he said he overreacted. He also then, and he said in the press conference, he's like, I'm not going to, I'd rather make the mistake and protect my guy and be and, and apologize for my overreaction later on than to not protect him in the first place. I think there was a lot of was, emotions going on at that point. What was weird is that, is that the crazies were, as I was saying, overwhelmingly nice to Capel. Like when he, when he came in for his first appearance on the court a few minutes before the game, like when he was just walking out with the coaching staff, mm-hmm. unprompted, all the fans were, were cheering for him. You know, it was just sort of a, a general like, yeah, there he is. And then when they announced the opposing lineup, uh, you know, they, they go through the, the opposing starters for Pittsburgh and everyone does the hi so-and-so bit. And then they said, and then the, the PA announcer said, and the head coach for the Pitt, Panfer, Pitt Panthers, and usually it would be something like, you know, and the opposing coach for North Carolina is Roy Williams. And they just, yeah, he, just a very nonchalant yeah. down like that. On this one, they said, and the opposing coach for the Pitt Panthers is Jeff Capel. Like they were announcing one of the Duke guys and everybody cheered for him. So mm-hmm. even, in, for what even worth, in that for- moment, it was like everyone was, everyone was, was, was supportive of him, regardless of, of how many people in the building remember something from nearly 25 years ago when he was maybe or maybe not booed in Cameron. For- that, like in the present moment, it was all cheers for Capel. What's weird about this whole thing, I think, is that Kay didn't recognize all of that appreciation going on before whatever he thinks happened, you know, right before the half. For, for that, what that was worth, why I was, yeah. Jeff Capel, Jeff Capel didn't mind it. He, after the game, he tweeted like, Hey, it's all love. I love you guys. Like he, he's like, I, that's what I want you to do is keep, keep cheering for your team and, and helping them and doing what you can to help them win. I think he was fine with it. I think again, at the end of the day, it was just an overreaction that blew up into what people thought was, the reaction, right? Like they didn't see the apology afterwards. They did, or they didn't care. It was it was about the moment, and they. I mean, ESPN replayed that moment like it was the only thing that happened in the game. And if you're watching well, and, Sports Center or whatever for the first time, that's all you're going to see, and that's all what people that were outside of the Duke bubble were reacting to. If you saw, I got a breaking, I got a breaking after news the game, alert after yeah. the after after the game in his post game presser. All Cable wanted to talk about was how disappointed he was that his team didn't follow through on the comeback, that they mm-hmm. had gotten this close and then let Duke get away. He wanted, he had nothing to say about the interaction with, or had very little to say about the interaction with Coach K or any of the fans or any of that. He was, he was totally locked in on the game. And it was really Coach K that, that felt the need to, you know, continue apologizing for the whole thing because I think he recognized that, that he had sort of overstepped. In this, and, if, and it sounds like from everything we've heard this week that he, that he, you know, made that apology um, pretty profusely and and followed through with it. If that game happened last night, it would there wouldn't have been a reaction, at least not one to that level. I think the fact that it happened, the it was Kobe, the first game, yeah. the first game since Kobe. He even he didn't have a chance to accurately like reflect or comment or anything. He said he was in a weird state. You know, this whole world has been in the sports world has been in a weird state. I mean, Coach this K is a big out, deal. And Coach K came out for his post game presser in the the Kobe in the warm up jersey, jersey, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that all the players were wearing before the game. So yeah, know, he and and he never he never does stuff like that. He doesn't go change his outfit. I and mean, he he wears the sneakers for coaches versus cancer, and, and that's about it. it. You know, he's yeah. very understated on things like that. So yeah, I I I think there was a lot going on. There was a lot of emotions around everything in sports at that moment. And there still is, you know, I'm here in LA. It's still, it's still going to be a big deal for a long time. And I think that is kind of what sent 
made this reaction so volatile. And really, uh, I think that's why people who aren't in the Duke bubble, who don't recognize what's going on, should be the ones to be dismissing it. But it's Duke, so people have to have a story. And like like Jason said, it was a news alert that came up almost immediately as a breaking news alert on ESPN when it happened. So if you're not watching the game, that's all you took away from it. And I think that's wrong. So, so one, the last thing I'll say about this is I hope that there is a little extra focus on the crazies as a result of this. Uh, look, I know all the old timers are always like, you youngsters, you don't do it right, blah, 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 you know, all the other kind of stuff. And and I'm, I'm very clear that the crazies of today are nowhere close to what they were when I was in school. <laughs> but but in all seriousness, um, there were there were tickets that the general public could buy to this game, to the pit game, where the general public was allowed to sit in the student section because the crazies aren't filling the student section. I want to repeat that. The crazies are not filling the student section. This is ridiculous. This was not a December game against Brown. This was an ACC opponent. This was Jeff Cable returning to Cameron for the first time. For the crazies not to fill the student section is terrible. Duke, Cameron have always been perhaps the toughest place to play in all of college sports. And I think we're losing some of that edge because the crazies just, and look, I get that the type of student going to Duke today, Duke isn't recruiting students to be good Cameron crazies. And I'm not saying they should. Okay. They should. Hell, they should. <laughs> <laughs> but but part seriously. Of the experience. The, yeah. The, the, the crazies are not what they once were and they're not filling it as much as they, as they used to. And I'm not going to go off on a long rant about it, but frankly, Coach K versus the crazies and, and a little bit of attention on them. I think hopefully that will highlight to Duke students up your game, go out to the games. It's a cool, interesting, amazing thing you get to do that you don't get to do at other elite private schools like Duke. You just don't. And I, I, I wish they would be as good as they were in my day when Al McGuire brought out a whip and a chair to tame the crazies like he was a wild animal tamer. Jason, I only have two words in response to to your comment, and they're not wholly intellectually honest. Get off my lawn. But okay, boomer. <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> am I I got a question. Seriously, am I wrong? No, we're and here's the thing. We're already working on it. I'll just leave it at that. I I'm I'm less concerned about all of this than I think either of you are. I'm not. I'm, I'm, I believe in the, in the wholeness of the university experience and don't think that every student needs to go to every game, but you know, it would be more fun if it would be, it would be more fun if they did. All of that's great. I love Duke basketball. I'm here on the show. I just, you know, it's, it, it, it's what it is. Let the kids do what they, whatever they want to do. This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by the fine gentlemen of Bird Campbell, PA, with law offices in Florida and in Texas. For all of your business legal needs, contact Bird Campbell at B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com. Bird Campbell means business. Now that we're through litigating the social lives of college students, let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about Saturday night 
in Syracuse. Duke goes up to play Jim Beheim's team. It was, I guess, it's it's unclear what a sellout crowd means in the Carrier Dome because of the because of the weird seating arrangement. But let's say it was in front of a sellout crowd at the Carrier Dome on Saturday night. It was a it bit was of the, a back it, and forth. It, by yeah. the way, it was the highest. It was the highest attended college basketball game of the season. Thirty-one thousand four hundred and fifty-eight people. Most people to see a college basketball game this season, um, and, uh, and until the Final Four, will probably be more than that. Yeah, and and wouldn't it be great if Duke had that many seats so that all the students could come to the games and could fit in the student section? Never mind. Let's <laughs> let's. I'm I'm done. I'm done with really? this topic. I'm really? done. I'm done with this topic. Duke played Syracuse. It was a bit of a back and forth game in the first half. Duke was able to pull out a four point lead going into halftime. And then in the second half, Duke was able to build the lead, keep Syracuse at arm's length and win somewhat comfortably, given that it was a road game. The big story here was that Wendell Moore returned to to Duke after uh, you know recovering from his injury. He had missed most or all of ACC play um, leading up to this game. So as much as we talked about Duke's rotation in the Pittsburgh game, the conversation sort of starts anew now that we're reinserting Wendell Moore here, who's probably in the sixth or seventh spot in the rotation. So I'll start with Donald. Donald, give me your impressions on uh, Duke's win at Syracuse. And in particular, tell me about what you saw from Wendell Moore in his return. Well, I like, first of all, I'm just going to, I'm just going to say this outright. I think we can skip the player of the week because it's Vernon Carey. Um, he was a beast. Again, the tank came and delivered once again against Syracuse. I'll get back to him in a minute. Let me talk about Wendell Moore. Wendell Moore, I thought when he was going to be back, I thought they would ease him back into the lineup, but they didn't. He played 24 minutes, and he was on the court for a lot of the stretches of the game where we needed his defense and we needed his length to kind of frustrate Syracuse. They had been really attacking us with the dribble drive penetration, and that's something that we haven't seen this year. Uh, usually, you know, Trey Jones and Jordan Goldwire are really good at locking that down, but we saw a lot of that last night from Syracuse, and I think what really helped, especially in the second half, was Wendell Moore playing in the game in basically standing right there there's times where he kind of would shift right into the lane and his length would be enough to just get you know get a drive or get a, a, a defender or, or i'm sorry an offensive player to kind of dribble around him and that was enough for our defense to kind of recover and force a bad shot and we get the rebound and go so i really liked him being back and i, I thought that he was pretty effective uh, at least on the defensive end on offense obviously there was he, he looked a little rusty um but i think that's something that's going to you know, over time, he's going to be fine in that area. I have no concern about that as he works his way back into the lineup. But to come back from a broken hand and play 24 minutes and be you know, very effective, at least for a lot of stretches on the defensive end, is something that you want to see. Now, I will talk again about Vern Carey. Um, I don't know what I, – I tried to read the rule book last night for the ACC. I did not see where you are supposed to get a technical foul for dunking the life out of a player. Um, and that's what he did. And he somehow got a technical foul for it when he dunked the life out of. That's, oh, but, uh, he, uh, but he made a rude. He made a rude face, though. No, I, it was. I, it was not in the rule book. It's not he there. Screamed I saw with it. Like, he, he 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 excitedly screamed. It was such an absurd technical foul. He made he a few people go. Guy. He made a f- few <sighs> people say, "There goes Look, that man." I it. I don't care what you what you saw or what you thought you saw. I checked the rule book. The rule book does not have any of that in there. So by my account, he 
got a technical for dunking the life out of a player. That didn't happen last year when Zion did it every night. Maybe maybe once it maybe did. I don't remember. But Vernon Carey dunked the life out of Dolajai, and Dolajai was he somehow allowed Dolajai to live long enough to talk about it. And I'm Which not was really sure nice why that was technical. To be that, exactly to be totally all of these are things why I think that shouldn't have been a technical foul. But hey, I digress to say. Do you feel like did he did he yell in Dolajai's face? No, I think he was yelled and t- Dolajai just happened to be in his face. And there's I, a difference. I, I just I did not feel like that was taunting. I really he didn't, didn't do. It's not like you know. There's some plays where you see a guy will actively look for the face or look for someone to tell them what that just happened. He didn't do that. He yelled out into space, and Dolajai entered the space, and all of a sudden it became he was yelling at him. When at the actuality, if Dolajai had not done anything, he would have just been yelling out in the space, and it would have been it would have been fine. So I think there's a difference between what other people have done to deserve a technical and what what Vernon Carey did last night. I, thought I, I it don't was think preposterous. It, it was a preposterous yeah. technical. I don't know. I don't know what the officials were thinking. Are these guys? And I was glad the announcers, Corey Alexander former Virginia great. Corey Alexander, I thought, was very accurate. He was like, I don't understand. This is basketball. We're, are we supposed to be silent after we score a basket? We're supposed to not mm-hmm. celebrate at all? And you it, can it, see afterwards he would make a point whenever whenever he did something, got an and one or anything, he would like kind of run off of the court and like look down at the ground and make sure he was looking at – not even looking at a photographer when he yelled. So he literally like that and, – and that's bad in the sense that if you have to be thinking about little things like that to make sure you don't get a second technical, like that's that takes you out of your game. And that's that's not what the referees are supposed to be doing. And I think that's do, the do unfortunate they, part of it. Do they want these guys to play with no emotion? Because Basically, I think basketball, yeah. I think basketball is more exciting and more fun when the players are emotional and into it. I think he, I think they want people like Cassius Stanley to to dunk, you know, with authority and then get it in one and then walk to their to their hand uh, to their players and do a handshake. Just great so, business so transaction. Bad. Good so job. Bad. Uh, but suffice it to say, Vernon Carey was outstanding last night. I, I thought he, you know, again, I, I mentioned in the last segment, there are times where he will. If he decides he wants to take over a game, I think he can take over any game that he wants. And last night, he took over the game of stretches and it was really dominant on both ends of the floor. He had 17 rebounds. Literally nobody would, would could touch him uh, on either end of the court. So I hats off to him. He's going to be my player of the week. If we do the segment, just you don't even have to ask me. That's who it is. I, I think that's a fairly obvious call given the, the huge profile-raising week that he had. We talked about Vernon Carey's tremendous game against Pittsburgh and then like you said Donald and I think Jason mentioned it when we were when we were discussing the Pittsburgh game perhaps not even Vernon Carey's best performance of the week given how well he performed against Syracuse in the zone being able to get right to the hoop get you know he made post move a number of post moves I'm not sure that we've seen from anybody else in college basketball this year but it wasn't just Vernon Carey's contributions in this game there were there were outstanding performances from from Cassius Stanley from Alex O'Connell from basically everyone all down the line. Jason, what stood out to you from the rest of the team's performance outside of Duke's superstar, Vernon Carey? Look, I fully agree. When we get to player of the week, there's only one name that you will hear spoken by all three of us. But I do want to talk uh, first about Alex O'Connell. I mean, I know Carey had a monster game. I know the poster factory is working overtime with all the ridiculous images that Cassius Stanley provided to them from this game. But it takes real fortitude. It, it takes something special to come from the very end of the bench. We already mentioned Alex O'Connell played one minute against Pitt. 
he has been at the very, very end of the bench the past several games. It takes something special to go from there to playing major minutes, making major contributions, coming into this game. If you told me that Alex O'Connell would play maybe only 10 meaningful minutes the rest of the year, I would not have been able to argue with you. And he goes out and has arguably his best game of the season on the road against a really good ACC team, a team that, you know, fourth place in the ACC, knocking on the door of the top tier of the ACC, playing in front of the biggest crowd that we will see all season unless we make the Final Four. If Alex O'Connell had gone to Syracuse instead of Duke, he would be an All-American because he owns the Orange Dome. It is it is really amazing what he does in that facility. And he thought I thought he had a great game. He it wasn't just that he 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 didn't shoot great. He shot well. Um, to me, it was that he played the game under control. He he was probing the defense with his dribble. He was creating things with his passing. In 15 minutes, he had three assists, which is a really nice number for you know for a guy who's playing on the wing there. Um, I, I just thought he played really good defense. Um, and and I love that Coach K was able to to show confidence in him again. Um, now it, it's kind of weird. Have you guys? I, I haven't heard. Was there something going on with Joey Baker? I don't know why Joey Baker didn't play at all in this game. I mean, part no of no comments. Out. There weren't comments that I saw, but you know, I think it's interesting inserting Wendell Moore back into the lineup and seeing how because Coach K doesn't do necessarily like one for one substitutions. It, you know, if if one guy plays a certain way and and another guy plays a certain way that those guys have to you know have exclusive rights to minutes he does a lot more of the mixing and matching you know you could argue that jordan goldwire is not other than minute other than minute. carrie and delorier carrie uh, sure. yeah. yeah but mm -hmm. but for the most part he doesn't operate like this you can look at the lineup from the last few weeks and say Jordan Goldwire isn't necessarily the fifth best player on the team. He doesn't necessarily need to be starting, but he fits well with the other players who are on the team. And and the the lineup kind of works most with him in it. With Wendell Moore being being back in the lineup, I wonder how Coach K is seeing the the combinations work out differently. I think we're going to learn more about about the Joey Baker, Alex O'Connell, Wendell Moore kind of you know, reserve wing situation, perhaps this week against Boston College, a team that's not as good and might allow Duke to experiment a little more. And then maybe again against UNC on Saturday. But sorry, Jason, uh, continue with that with that thought. Well, so I, I already talked about Alex O'Connell. I, I wanted to mention Cassius Stanley. He had 13 points in the second half. Um, he had five assists in the game. Um, and he had three plays at least where he left my jaw on the floor. I, him running downhill against you on the fast break is just unfair. Whatever company makes posters of Duke highlights, um, uh, their, their presses are running overtime today to keep up with all the highlights, all the ridiculous things that Cassius Stanley did to that poor, poor Syracuse team. Cassius Stanley, Cassius Stanley can jump. Oh, you think? That play um, with, the, with Kerry to him on the, on the throw – did you see how high, how long he was in the air and how pass. high? That was yeah, such a bad pass for Bernie. It was Perry. a bad pass. It was a bad pass that was 80 feet. Yeah. It was an 80, <laughs> it was an 80 foot long pass. Have you ever seen a have you ever seen a pass go that far that was exactly on point? I mean, Carrie did the, the bet. Don't yeah. It's a good thing we were playing in the orange dome, in the carrier dome, because that thing went so high, it would have hit the ceiling in most other stadiums. Oh, especially that in Cameron. Yeah. It was as long as it was, it was amazing how accurate it was that it was close enough to Stanley that he was able to corral it with a couple of with a couple of tips 
gather himself and get the ball in the basket. That was that was insane. He was in the air for about eleven point three seconds. That that's that was my <laughs> that was my unofficial estimate. Honestly, the worst. The, the the worst offense to, against Cassius Stanley is he got called for that one charge that was a charge, but it was sort of late in the game when when the, the the tension was coming up and Stanley got so high against the Syracuse defender, but then they they called him for the charge. But but I, I couldn't believe the the leaps that he was making last night in that game. So so I I know Donald wants to talk about free throw shooting, but but just really quick, I, I want to. There are a couple other things I wanted to bring up very fast. The first one is. I, I, I feel sorry for Syracuse having to defend Vernon Carey because Syracuse's big man, um, Sadibe, is 6'10", but he only weighs 210 pounds. And he fouled out after playing 22 minutes. And his backup... Who didn't foul backup, out of this game? His, his backup Me, is a, I didn't. His backup is a 6'7 freshman, Quincy Gurrier, who just... He had no chance when he was in the game Duke so dominated in the post. Carey was able to put Garrier exactly where he wanted him to be so that Carey got the ball in good position every single time. Uh, Javin Delorier was even really effective. Do you know if you combine what, what Carey and Delorier did, they go for 34 points, 21 rebounds out of our center position. Those are Shaquille O'Neal, Anthony Davis kind of numbers. I mean, we, we yeah, it was, it was really, really impressive. All right, Donald, talk about the free throws because the free throws made a difference. Yes, they did. Um, we, we've talked this year about how free throw shooting has been kind of erratic. Well, last night it was on point, 29 for 33. Vernon Carey, who normally shoots about 54, 56% from the line, was 8 for 10. Those are big because he had a lot of and ones, as we guys, as we all know. He had a lot of and ones that he converted. Uh, and then there's just some times where they just said, hey, 56% will take our chances with him at the free throw line, and he was knocking them down. That's good for him. Trey Jones went 10 for 10. Matt Matthew Hurt went 5 for 6. But 29 for 33 as a team, that is the reason why we you know, we still attempted 16 or 17 fewer free uh, field goals than Syracuse did and won by you know nine points because our free throw shooting was, was on point. When you have those chances to earn points at the charity stripe, you take advantage of them to beat good teams. That's what we did at the Carrier Dome last night. By the way, so we shot 88% from the free throw line. If we shoot our normal 70%, then rather than hitting 29 free throws, we would have only hit 23. This would have been a very different game if Duke had six less points. So keep that in mind as we're, as we're looking ahead. Let's do that now very quickly. Duke plays uh, Boston College up in Massachusetts on, in Chestnut Hill on Tuesday night. Duke already has one very convincing victory over BC this season, a game that was in Cameron, you might remember, just a few weeks ago when uh, Duke beat the Eagles by nearly 40 points. Boston hey, Sam, College how is did, coming. How did BC do in their previous game? So I would, You know what, Jason? It's funny you mentioned that because I was just about to say that Boston College is coming off an emotional and exciting victory against the University of North Carolina. They beat the Tar Heels in Chapel Hill yesterday in Cole Anthony's grand return to college basketball in which he finished the game with an airballed three-pointer. So Boston College is, is maybe feeling themselves a little bit more than they were a month ago when, when they played the Blue Devils. Jason, I'll ask you first, how could Boston College beat Duke in this game? Like, what would have to happen? Jared Hamilton and Derek Thornton are going to gonna have to shoot really, really well from the perimeter. Um, 
I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I wasn't prepared for that question. I, sure, it's possible that Boston College can beat Duke, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I guess. Let's, I mean, it, it's at this is it's at BC. this is the overconfident. This is the overconfident version of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I don't know. I'm not. I, I mean, I'm trying to. Uh, you know, they they'd have to play really great defense on the inside. Stefan Mitchell would have to be really really good defending. Um, Nick Popovich. Yeah. I, I can't really come up with how I can't really come up with how Boston College beats Duke other than they play way way better than they have in any game all year. Uh, let me all right. I guess I'll put it that way. If they play way better than they have in any game all year, then they can beat Duke. Other than that, it's just not happening. So then maybe I'll ask Donald, what is something you're looking for from the Blue Devils this week given the performances from last week? Um, what do you want to see from Duke against Boston College? Keep doing what you're doing. Um, last time against BC, you know, we cut the head off the snake. That was Derek Thornton. It was his first time back in Cameron since he had transferred. I expect him to have a better game uh, now that he doesn't have the the pressure of returning to Cameron on him. He's yes, he's faced his forward team, but I expect him to have a better game. But our rebounding was great. Our shooting was great. That was the game. If you, if you recall, Matthew Hurt went off, uh, went five for ten from beyond the arc. If we can continue to shoot well then we are going to have a really good game on Tuesday night. So that is what I'm looking for. Our rebounding, I think, has been great so far. Uh, the last few games since we, you know, since that bad week that we had, we've had really good def- uh, defensive outputs, uh, at least on the glass. I expect that to continue. And again, if Vernon Carey is going to continue to play like he did this week, BC is in trouble in a bad way. Yeah, I, I, I concur with both of you guys about, about looking hey, ahead let's at be really, Boston really, College let's be game. Really, what, what, Jason? Let's be really clear about something. Boston College is the worst team in the ACC. I know they have five conference victories. They're five and six somehow. I, I, I don't know, but, but all the advanced metrics, uh, every ranking system you can find says that BC is the worst team in the ACC. Losing at Clemson was kind of unforgivable, but Clemson at least is a top 100 team. Boston College is barely in the top 150. This would be unforgivable for Duke to lose this game, in my opinion. So then let's let's think ahead. We're not going to do a full preview of UNC, which is, of course, who Duke plays this coming weekend in Chapel Hill. So we'll just let the listeners know that we will do another show midweek to recap whatever we see in the Boston College game. We'll get to talk about UNC ahead of that game on Saturday. As I mentioned before, Cole Anthony just came back for Carolina just for the one game against Boston College. So... Monday night against Florida State will be his second game back in action for the Tar Heels, and we'll get a much better sense of how the team is progressing with Anthony back in the lineup ahead of of the big matchup on Saturday. So we'll Real do that quick, preview. Sam. Yeah. Real quick, Sam, on that note, the one thing on Tuesday that our guys cannot do is look forward to Saturday night. It, Definitely. it happens a lot. This is one of those games where just focus on BC, get out of Chestnut Hill with a victory, and then we can start talking about Carolina. So we will so we'll do that full preview after the game on Tuesday. With that, we'll move on to our our finishing movements as we as we usually do here on the show. We'll do a quick player of the week and then some parting shots. Gentlemen, can I get uh in all in favor of Vernon Carey being the player of the week this week for Duke, say aye. 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 That was that was all two of my other colleagues here on the show saying I to player of the week, Vernon Carey, I will make it a unanimous with a final I. Any, any final words on Vernon Carey before we move to, to parting shots, Jason? 
Um, no, uh, that was that was an amazing week. You put up you put up twenty and teens rebounds, twenty plus and teens rebounds. I mean, can't yeah, do much Mar- better than that. Yeah, that's Marvin Bagley kind of. Those are crazy numbers. Those are those are Marvin Bagley, Zion Williamson kind of numbers from a guy so who never played in the post before this season. It's crazy. Let's then go right to the parting shots. Donald Juan, I will let you go first. What is your parting shot for this week? Well, this uh, this past weekend, the NBA announced uh, all of the uh, the teams that will be competing in the All-Star weekend uh, that there's going on in a couple weeks. The All-Star game, we had two first-time players that are Dukies. Jason Tatum and Brandon Ingram both made the All-Star game. Uh, obviously, as you guys know, it's going to be one of those street style where they pick them. Um, they have the starters and then they have the reserves. Both Tatum and Ingram were reserves. They will be drawn into teams this week. The Rising Stars Challenge is the USA team versus the world team. On the USA side, Zion Williamson and Wendell Carter both make it, and R.J. Barrett makes the world team. So the once again, NBA All-Star Weekend is going to be great. and In my opinion, it's the best of the All-Star uh, festivities for all the major sports, but it is going to be a lot of the brotherhood involved in the weekend, so make sure you tune in and watch in a couple of weeks. I can't believe Zion's not doing the slam dunk contest. I'm I'm so bummed about that. I, I, I know can. that you know. I I know it's because of injury. Yeah, yeah. I, I I know why, but I'm still bummed. next year. Next year he's going to do it. That's my we prediction. Just to, we just have to wait a little bit longer, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. We'll 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 get it eventually. Uh, cool notes, Donald, on the All Star game. Jason Evans, what is your parting shot? So I wanted to just very quickly, we, we did a special podcast on it last week, but there are a couple quick things I want to mention about the passing of Kobe Bryant. Um, first of all, I just want to urge folks, uh, if you can, Google Coach K and Kobe Bryant because Coach K's comments after the pit game, um, he had some really wonderful things to say that, um, uh, that that show you how close Kobe Bryant was with Coach K and with folks in the Duke program. Um, I wanted to mention, if folks hadn't heard it, Quinn Cook has changed his number to 28. Quinn Cook will now be number 28, two in the 28. The two is for Gigi Bryant, Kobe's daughter. The eight is for Kobe. Um, uh, and I think that's a, a really nice tribute by Quinn. Uh, if you saw this week, Quinn was incredibly broken up at the Laker game on Friday. He he clearly had a uh, felt like he had a special relationship with, with Kobe. Um, and uh, Quinn Quinn could barely compose himself at the at the ceremony on Friday. And then the other thing I wanted to mention very quickly, I saw a clip the other day of Kobe on Jimmy Kimmel that I thought was really, really interesting. And it, it told the story of what happened in a way that affected me. Kobe explains that there's just no way for him to work out in town at the Lakers practice facility and then fight traffic and get home in time to pick up his kids from school. And he said it was so important to him to get that 20 minutes in the car, driving his kids from school to home every day. And so Kobe was explaining why he uses helicopters so much. He was saying that the 20 minutes he gets to spend after picking those kids up from school are the best time of his life. And he's already forced to spend so much time out of town playing basketball that he refuses to give up that quality time with them. So he uses helicopters to go everywhere because he can't deal with LA traffic and he doesn't live close enough to where the, the Lakers practice facility is. And so the, the trip by helicopter from his house to the Mamba Academy was like 20 minutes. And if they were in a car, it would have been more like an hour. And so Kobe valued his time with his family so much. That's why he was flying in helicopters 
all the time because he wanted to be with his kids as much as possible. He didn't want to spend time riding around in a car um, unless his children were with him. And, uh, and so that's sort of the sad story of, of what happened and what brought us to that moment where the helicopter unfortunately crashed. Uh, real quick, Jason, and that is a very you know touching clip. I know a lot of people, it's been circulating the last couple of days. W- one note on the jersey changes, Mason Plumley, who wore 24 for the Nuggets, changed his number as well. He changed to number seven, uh, adding to the list of players who have given up either 24 or eight in the last few days. But really, just being here in LA on Friday night for that, you know, for that, it was a surreal thing. I, I was in Long Beach uh, and we were watching it and it was a full pack bar of maybe 300 people. Everyone was silent. The street was silent. This whole town shut down for about 30 minutes for that ceremony. And really for the game, uh, it was kind of, it was great to be here for it. Like, I, you know, in a sad circumstance, you kind of want to be around people that you care about and, and listening to something like that. But it was really surreal to kind of be here in LA, the, the city that, you know, he's from Philly, but LA, LA, that, that was, that was their son that, that passed away. And, and this has been a really difficult weekend for everyone who is from LA, you know, Cassius Stanley is one of those people, Derek Thornton as well. There are guys who were touched by this and it goes beyond basketball. It goes beyond sports. It's really about the city and and, and a whole nation just kind of coming together. Uh, And so that's kind of what I didn't think would happen in the out in the outcome of this, but it's almost reassuring that it did. And Duke of course was taking part in, in the celebration of Kobe's life, wearing the warm-up jerseys, as we mentioned um, in the game on Tuesday, and then and then again on Saturday against Syracuse, and doing moments of silence, all that kind of stuff. So um, just a, a a lot of emotion this week about the loss of Kobe Bryant. I will finish with my quick parting shot. Yesterday, I had a very cool opportunity to visit uh, Camp McCall down in uh, in North Carolina. It's the uh, it's a sort of part of the Fort Bragg Army installation where they take guys who are interested in joining the special forces and put them through the first round of qualification testing where they have to do some obstacle courses and 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 a bunch of um, other sort of skills uh, tests to see if they are uh, cut out to be special forces guys. So we had a group of us from school who went down there and got to stay in the barracks one night and 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 do some of the some of the activities that those guys do. Woof. It was uh, it was intense. Um, lots of uh, lots of hard physical activities, a lot of uh, neat sort of teamwork exercises to kind of see how you work with other people. And uh, of course, at the end, um, we we talked a little bit about Coach K, because, of course, if you're going to put Duke people and Army people together in in the same place for any extended period of time, inevitably, we talk about Coach K. So the uh, Duke students, we gave the the guys uh, over there at the base who were running the facility, we gave them a, a basketball signed by Coach K as sort of a, a thank you for for letting us join them for a day. But just wanted to say how how really uh, cool and, and impactful and meaningful I thought that day was to me. So um, with that, we will uh, wrap up this episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. This was episode 187. As mentioned, we will be back midweek to recap Boston College and and preview the North Carolina game. So we'll talk to you again in a few days for Jason Evans, for Donald Wine. I am Sam Klein. This is the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Duke Band, take us home.